This episode of the Case for Safety podcast is sponsored by Bulwark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Case for Safety podcast. I'm your host, Scott Fowler. Thank you so much for joining us today, and happy Safe and Sound Week. I hope everyone out there is uh, staying safe and sound and taking some time this week to celebrate your safety successes. Now, uh, we are into the uh, dog days of summer, of course, and with that in mind, we wanted to take some time today to talk about a hazard uh, that's present in a lot of different kind of working environments, and that is heat stress, specifically as it relates to workers who wear arc-rated and flame-resistant clothing. And uh, joining me today to share his perspective on heat stress and ARFR clothing, I'm happy to welcome back to the show, Derek Sang, Senior Technical Training Manager at Bulwark. Derek, welcome back. Great to be talking to you. Scott, thank you very much. Awesome to be back. Looking to uh, discuss this very pertinent topic, especially as uh, we have a heat wave running through our country today. Yeah, absolutely. As I see, yeah, we're we're in the dog days of summer, and it's been a summer unlike any other. We, yeah, we're seeing uh, record temperatures all across the country, and of course, uh, heat stress a major concern in a lot of different working environments. So, to kick things off, I thought we could you know talk about as I mentioned, uh, you know, ARFR and heat stress. So, does or can ARFR clothing contribute to heat stress in these different working environments? So obviously a, a great question. Anytime that you're looking to add personal protective equipment to whatever you're doing in your work environment, there's obviously going, going to be considerations. Hard hats, face shields, rubber gloves, leathers, anything that you can think of that we adorn as PPE, regardless of the work environment, is going to add something to what we have to do to that day. So when we talk about heat stress, I thought it'd be a good idea first to kind of talk about what, what heat stress is. Heat stress is the uh, a medical, or I should say more accurately, it's the, the terminology for a number of different medical conditions as your body responds to increase in, in heat load, either through activity or that giant orb in the sky causing heat load or within the building that we're actually working in, the easy ones to think of are foundries, uh, glassworks, all those to where now we have a combination of uh, humidity and heat and how we function in. So our body responds really in four key ways as it gets to heat. First and foremost, as we sweat, we develop a rash. That's kind of like stage one kind of to think of. Then our body will, as it loses more and more fluid, will start to cramp up. Then we'll start to get really fatigued and everything. And then lastly, the last stage and the most concerning is obviously when you get into heat stroke, where you actually break your body's internal thermostat and now you're in condition red, so to speak. All your body physiologically is trying to get you to do is stop what you're doing in a hot environment. And it wants you to stop, rest. It wants you to get out of the heat load, shade, and it needs you to hydrate to get those fluids back. Because once we're in an environment that's greater than our body temperature, and call it 98.6 degrees for lack of a better number, even though that's varied throughout the years now, 
But after 98.6 degrees, we only have one cooling mechanism, and that's evaporatory, and that's when your body starts to sweat. So as you go through the these levels of heat stress-related illnesses, it's basically your body saying, stop what you're doing, reevaluate, get some rest, get out of the heat load, and get some hydration. So I say all that to say when we start adding flame-resistant arc-rated clothing, and we look at our core markets that utilize those garments for protection against short-duration thermal events, they are primarily working outside. They are in the heat source. They are in the humidity. So obviously the question is, does work clothing and flame-resistant arc-rated apparel add to the heat stress load? And the all the studies and all the determinations today, when it's single layer flame resistant arc rated clothing, when it's a shirt and pant, there is no clothing adjustment factor for single layer flame resistant arc rated clothing. Now, the body does not dissipate heat as well when it's clothed as opposed to when it's not. So what we factor in there is we have to start looking at how can we help the body dissipate heat when we're covering it, whether that's in single layer non-FR garments or in our particular environments for oil and gas and utilities and others, how do we help when it comes to when we have to adorn the body in flame resistant arc rated clothing, even though there's no necessary adjustment when we look at that type of clothing, we still have to be concerned when we are covering the body under extreme heat conditions. With all that in mind, are lightweight garments the, the best option for, for countering heat stress in these different environments? You would fundamentally think from a common sense standpoint that the answer would be easy as yes. Not so much in my world. So in our world, first and foremost, when we have exposure in oil and gas to flash fires, when we have exposure in general industry and utilities to electric arcs, the primary function of those garments is to protect and insulate you against that short duration thermal hazard. So I have to establish that whatever fabrics I'm developing for this hazard, first and foremost, have to protect you against short duration thermal exposure. So that's, that's my first thing I have to do. After I've established that, now I can start getting into the key things that help with being cool and comfortable. And believe it or not, it's not necessarily weight. Now, weight is one of the considerations. Don't get me wrong. There's a big difference between a nine ounce fabric and a five and a half ounce fabric. And it's not necessarily uh, four and a half ounces, but we all understand that. That being said, I have to look at air permeability. How much air can I get to move through the fabric easier? Because that's going to help me in cooling off because it's going to help that heat dissipate out of my body and through the fabric. And then secondly, how can I help accelerate by removing moisture? Because remember, moisture management and being able to get the sweat off of my body is what is mimicking your body's natural cooling mechanism. I can have a lightweight garment at four and a half ounces, and if it's 100% synthetic, even though it's FR and it's protective, if there's no ability to pull moisture off of me, I'm going to be miserable. 
even though that garment is arguably some of the lightest weight fabric that we have in the FRAR world, it's not mimicking your body's natural ability to get heat off you and get moisture away from it. Because remember, when we're dry, we automatically start thinking we're cool. So I want to have moisture management capabilities. I want to be able to pull moisture away from my body. I want to have air permeability so that I can help the body dissipate that heat outward. And also any kind of airflow that's happening in my work environment is going to also help cool me down. So long-winded way of saying there's actually three levers that we need to manipulate. One you mentioned is weight, but it's not the only one. I need to have hydrophobic and hydrophilic fibers that help with that moisture management. And I also need to be protective enough that I can have an open weave. What does that mean? I still want to perform to my significant standards, whether that's NFPA 2112 and NFPA 2113 in my flash fire, in my ASTM 1506, in my 1910-269 world, in my NFPA 70E world that I'm protecting against those arcs. So I want to build the fabric to where it's substantial enough that it can hold up to that significant hazard and still give you an open enough weave to allow airflow. I can get down to lighter weights and I can achieve your number one goal, which, Derek, just make me a lightweight fabric. I can do that, but unfortunately, I have to make the weave so dense and so tight in order to what? First, protect you, that there is no airflow that I have to start adding finishes to it to uh, to have any kind of moisture management. And all industrial finishes only last about 25 laundrons. So I want to have that fiber matrix actually have some cellulosic in it to pull moisture for the entire life of that garment. So the easy answer is yes, weight sounds like it should be our primary focus when we're building these. But we're actually taking a much more holistic approach when we're looking at innovating and building new fabrics to make garments out of. We want to get into that performance fiber mentality to where we can capture all the intrinsic positives of these fibers where they'll help us mimic that body's natural cooling system. If we can do those, we can actually produce a fabric where it's not as weight dependent it's going to be in and around five and a half to six ounces, and it's going to primarily protect you, but it's going to have the ability because the fiber matrix is significant enough that it can support these other characteristics that we need to stay cool. You touched on a few of them there and, and also earlier, but you know, when, it, when it comes right down to, you know, what should people be aware of, be thinking about when it comes to heat and, and ARFR? What are the most important things to remember? This may strike you as a different way to answer that question, but here's what, when, when I'm asked that question and when I'm looking at my folks that I'm protecting and what they need to do, the first way I answer that is make sure you're wearing a baseline of protection all day, every day. And that may sound like, Derek, what do you mean? Wouldn't it be easier if we just brought our kits with us and we just donned and doffed them as we needed and we wore our you know, our non-FR 100% cotton t-shirts and denim all day, every day, and we were we could stay a lot more comfortable. Here's what, here's what I want you to think of, especially in these hot environments. 
Uh, first and foremost, if I go to what's called a traditional task-based program, if I'm bringing a kit with me that contains my PPE, my hard hat, my face shield, my rubbers, my leathers, my flame-resistant arc-rated coverall, I've got to don that before I go and do what any particular task that is determined, I need all that PPE. So I'm going to don a coverall over top of my denim and my t-shirt. Have I just made myself more comfortable? Have I made myself you know, hotter or heavier? Absolutely. Now I'm hotter and heavier in this task-based approach. So when no one's looking and I'm going to go do a task where I should be wearing it, am I more or less likely to don that PPE when no one's watching? Because it's cumbersome, it's going to make me hotter, and it's not necessarily the best fitting. Plus, I've got all this other gear I've got to put on. Ah, let's just not put on the hot, uncomfortable FR clothing. So by going to a task-based approach, you are actually promoting the number one complaint where it's hot and uncomfortable. So when I tell folks what's the best thing you can do, find yourself some shirts and pants that your folks can wear every single day. And that way, as an employer, you know, out of sight and out of mind, they still have a baseline of protection. They're not adding additional layers in a hot environment. They're not not wearing their PPE because of a hot environment. You actually got them into lightweight, comfortable, flame-resistant, arc-rated clothing, and they're actually utilizing it even though technically they're not donning it. It's actually part of what they wear every day. So what's the main thing that you can do? First and foremost, we find that we get very, very little pushback from the waist down. What does that mean? Most people have grown up wearing 12 and 14 ounce denim throughout their young teen and adult lives already. We don't get folks saying that pants are too heavy, too uncomfortable. Where we get pushback typically is from the waist up or in the shirt category. The technology today, we're now down into what we're calling sub six ounces. That's retail weight shirts and pants. So I strongly encourage folks Get out there, get to your supply chain, and start wear testing some of the newest fabrics and the newest offerings from a variety of sources, because there is no longer an excuse not to be wearing this stuff, because it's at retail weight. You're not going to find very few of the state-of-the-art garments today supplied by us in the FR community are going to be significantly in any case at all than what they're buying off of the retail shelf. So that's first and foremost. So to answer your question, what should they be doing today? Wear a flame-resistant arc-rated shirt and pant if that's what you need because you're in the hazard. Make sure you're looking and evaluating some of the latest technologies. And as employers who are supplying this, you then have a level of comfort that the, if it's their uniform, if it's their required wearing, that they're not making that donning and doffing decision when they're out of sight and out of mind, when it's 105 degrees and they've got to go voltage test a 480 panel in a warehouse that doesn't have air conditioning, that they're not going to leave that essential piece of PPE off because it's now too hot because they're putting it on over top of what they're already wearing. Take that out of the equation. So that may not be the answer that you're looking for to that question, but that's typically how I answer when going, what do we need to do? Get your people in a baseline of protection today and look at the latest technologies that are out there. 
Staying on that topic of the latest technology, you know, what are some of those innovations that you're seeing out there in the field that, you know, are helping address both, you know, the ARFR as well as, you know, making sure workers are staying cool while while they're while they're wearing the clothing? We have done a as a market, what they've done is they've listened to that mantra now for the last decade. You guys need to make stuff that's a little bit more closer to retail. You guys need to start looking at this stuff's too heavy. It's 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 uncomfortable. So over the last probably decade, uh, you've seen innovations where they're taking, when you look at the ways that FR engineering can happen, there's really three key ways. Uh, at the molecular level, we tweak the molecular formula, for example, of nylon, and we turn it into Nomex. That's FR nylon. You take motocrylic fiber, and when it's still a soup, before you extrude it, you put a bunch of fire retardant chemistry in there, and now you extrude an FR motocrylic fiber. And then what most people look at as far as when you take something that's fuel, aka cotton, and you put it through a process where you're chemically bonding cellulosic with fire retardant chemistry, we end up with our FR cottons and our FR 8812s. So of those three ways, the industry as a whole has been working diligently to look at what fibers, FR and non-FR, can we blend together to where we can start capturing some of the performance characteristics that we see in our top performance brands? And we're all aware of those, those brand names, and you see them all over in our in gyms, on the football field, in the hockey arenas, on the soccer field. Everybody has these performance fabrics. And if you would have said, you know, 25 years ago that you'd be replacing your cotton t-shirt with a three and a half ounce, 100 percent synthetic garment that's going to wick moisture, be antimicrobial, and provide all these additional performance qualities you would say that's never going to happen. So in the FR world, those are is not as easy as just mimicking that. They are looking to capture some of those performance enhancements. And it's twofold. One, we're able to drive the weight down. Traditionally, you've been in that seven, seven and a half ounce shirt weight for uh, the 90s through 2005, 2010. Here we are in 2023 to where we're driving the weight down because we now have synthetic fibers that are lighter. We have synthetic fibers that are hydrophilic and hydrophobic. So they're pushing and pulling moisture in the way that they're woven. And also they're able to obtain the necessary arc ratings and the necessarily flash fire performance that they can be utilized uh, commercially. So Look for fabrics, especially in that shirt weight, to where they are capturing some of those latest technologies. And how you'll identify them for the most part, and you've heard me use the term sub six, across the marketplace, you'll see most of the top manufacturers have a category to where they're providing the appropriate arc ratings, the appropriate flash fire protection, and that fabric weight is between 5.4 ounces and 5.8 ounces, sub six categories. And that's where you're going to capture the latest technology as far as open weave, moisture management, air permeability, and you're factoring now in a little bit less weight. 
Something you mentioned earlier, I'm curious about was was layering and, you know, the possibility of, of layering in in these uh, different work environments. Is that something that can be be helpful in, in preventing, you know, heat related illness? So layering, we've got to look in in really two ways. So I'm going to answer the reduction part in the second part of my answer. And the first part, we have to be conscious of layering. Because remember, I told you that single layer non-FR shirts or FR shirts don't have a clothing adjustment factor. When you're looking at that wet bulb globe test and you're looking to determine what the heat is, it's what's the, the ambient air temperature versus the humidity and now you have your uh, heat scale. So when you adjust for that, there's no clothing adjustment for single layer. When you start getting into multiple layers, whether that's for soil protection, whether that is our flash suits, whether that's rain gear, where now you are even stressing the body further to dissipate that heat, there are clothing adjustment factors in that type of layering. Now, where can layering benefit you is when you start looking at these base layers and the market's done a great job of introducing lightweight base layers that have flame resistant arc rated properties to where now it's also that moisture management layer very much mimicking your performance fabrics it allows you to do two things one your base layer now is factoring into your protection secondly you no longer need to have as heavy a weight or as high an arc rating on that outer layer because when we test those two layers together, you'll actually find that they are a greater protection typically than the single layer was in and of itself. And you get to drive down the weight of that outer layer because that base layer not only is accelerating the moisture management by getting the moisture off your body, keeping you cooler and drier, getting it into your outer layer so it's away from your body, you're also not carrying more weight and you're actually making yourself more protective. So in that layering answer, one, be cautious. Be cautious when you're getting into your arc flash suit. Be cautious when you're getting into your rain gear. Be cautious if you're getting into an FRAR disposable because you're doing some kind of cleaning where you need to have a, an additional layer to protect your very expensive clothing. Those now can potentially be barriers they typically don't uh, breathe. The, the air perm is definitely lower. And now you've combined your heat load. You need to be cautious. Going the other way, when you're building a system and you're looking at adding a performance layer that also has FRAR properties, you can reduce the weight of that outer layer, more than likely increase uh, your protection and produce a better uh, system to provide uh, more comfort in that hot environment than you would normally in that single layer. We've uh, we've talked a lot about heat as it relates to ARFR, of course. But uh, before we uh, wrap up, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about uh, cold. I mean, as you get later in the year, I know in certain work environments, you know, cold stress is a concern uh, certain times of the year. So what are the most important things to remember when it comes to, you know, uh, cold stress and ARFR clothing? So the cool thing, pardon the pun, is that... Cold stress, very, very real, very, very significant, but that's an insulation solution. Where in our heat world, the atmosphere is hotter than, than the body, so the heat is coming towards us. In a cold environment, the body's hotter than the outer 
the environment. So heat's going to go away from the body. So we want to trap as much of that heat throughout our workday as possible to keep us warm. So when we're building a system in a cold environment, it's all about insulation. So those layers become important. Uh, to break it down simply, you want to have, you don't want to sweat when it's cold because as you sweat, you can expose yourself to increased rates of hypothermia. You'll get there a lot quicker because the cold air now hits the sweat. The sweat drives the body temperature down. So you want to have a base layer that is going to be able to grab moisture. You want to have a mid layer that's going to be able to take that moisture and move it to the outer layer. You want that outer layer to have typically some water resistance and wind resistance because as the wind increases under cold temperatures, you can drive the body temperature down. Documented cases, it can still be 60, 50, 60 degrees outside. Give me a 20 mile an hour wind and I can get to hypothermia if I'm unprotected. So as I say all that, the things that you need to be cautious about in our FRAR world is you still have primarily a short duration thermal exposure from arc flash or flash fire. So every single one of those layers has to protect to my hazard. Because what's going to happen, even though in the early AM, I may have three or four layers on because I'm at my extreme cold. As I work through my workday, not only is the ambient air temperature potentially rising, but also my workload is causing me to generate heat and I don't want to sweat. So I'm going to start doffing apparel. I'm going to start taking stuff off so I can stay kind of steady and keep that workload to where I don't sweat hit that sweet spot. But as I'm taking layers off, here's where it's key. I can't introduce any non-FR layers. I have to make sure in the cold environment that my outermost layer is equal to or greater than the hazard. As I doff my jacket, now I've got, let's say I've got my fleece bib on or my fleece vest on. I've got to make sure that that's equal to or greater than the potential hazard. Make sure it has the appropriate standards and everything for the hazard that I'm exposing it to. As I increase my workload, now I'm doffing my, my fleece and I'm down to my, my work shirt. Again, it has to be equal to or greater than has. So we have to be cautious from a safety standpoint as we build for cold stress. It's an insulation solution, but each one of those layers, as it is exposed and becomes the outermost layer, it's key that is equal to or greater than the hazards it's exposed to. Where can that fall short? So I, I understand I'm getting ready for my work. It's a little bit colder today than it was yesterday. As I'm leaving to go to work, I grab that hoodie off the back of the, the door and I put that on and then throw my arc rated coat on over top. The question becomes, is my hoodie that I just grabbed part of my program and is it FRAR? Secondly, as I doff that jacket, am I doffing in and exposing non-FR or am I exposing a layer that may not be equal to or greater than the hazard because now, it is my primary outer layer. It has to be equal to or greater than the hazard that I'm exposing to. And especially as I get down in layers, I'm typically getting down in weight. So we have to make sure that we're not exposing ourselves to potentially unnecessary injury because that layer is not appropriate. So 
It takes a little bit greater understanding to build that cold weather program for those folks that have those extreme conditions. It just takes a little bit of time and effort to make sure that what we're projecting in the catalog, what we're projecting in our core products, we've been evaluated that regardless of the combination that they're going to wear them in, that for the tasks at hand that they're doing, that it's appropriate level protection. And that's really the only caution uh, from that standpoint. And then the other big caution would be make sure we don't mix any non-FR in there because it's really easy as the workload increases, as we're focused on the task, as we're doffing layers to stay uh, so we're not sweating, that we're introducing any non-FR into the field. So those would be the two key areas in a cold stress environment that I would be focusing on as I build my program. Any uh, other uh, tips you'd uh, like to share? Things uh, folks uh, should remember about uh, ARFR clothing in hot and cold environments? The one thing that's happening that folks are probably aware of if they're dealing with heat stress right now uh, OSHA has a nas national emphasis program going right now. Uh, this is year one of the three-year program. They they currently don't have any regulations other than really, hey, it's, it's a recognized hazard. We have to protect against it. But what they've done with their compliance officers is they are emphasizing their focus to proactively go out and inspect folks that are exposing their employees to high heat. And it's not just outside, it's inside. So you need to be really conscious, especially today, that you're protecting your folks. And the key way to protect them, as always, rest, shade, and hydration need to be provided. And when you think about it, rest and shade are getting folks out of, of, of the heat load. They're letting them take time to dissipate that heat away from them. And then obviously, if your primary cooling system is water-based, you need to get liquid back into that radiator. Don't let that radiator run dry. And more importantly, get that radiator filled the day before you have to go to work and keep filling it all the way through. It's, it's a very conscious approach and it's very ownership accountability based because I can put a giant container on the back of my truck. I can give you uh, cases and cases of water, cases and cases of Gatorade, cases and cases of thing, get all my little uh, squincher uh, packages. I can lead a horse to water. The horse still has to take the initiative and drink. Make sure you're getting hydrated. Make sure you're taking time and breaks in your workday and take heat very, very seriously. Absolutely. That's that's a really great note to end on. Well, thank you so much again, Derek. As we've talked, this is such an important topic for, for folks to remember as we're, you know, we're seeing record-breaking heat all across the country. You need to take those steps to make sure that people are able to work safely, protecting them from ARFR hazards as well as 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 staying cool and taking those steps to to stay healthy when when working in these hot environments. So uh thank you so much again for coming on. My pleasure, Scott. Anytime. Really enjoyed it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Case for Safety podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect with us at ASSP.org. We'll see you next time.